You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Jeff and worship team. Uh, Welcome to Grace Community Church. If this is your first time, we extend to you a very special welcome and are grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, and it is a delight to be with you. I love uh, these services that we're having outdoors. So I'd, I'd far rather be in there with everything that we're able to do on Sunday mornings, but I'm grateful that we're able to meet out here for the time being. Uh, In addition to the Grace Connection class, September 12 and 13, I also want to just draw your attention very quickly to South Wake Bible Institute beginning uh, September 14th on the Monday following the weekend where we're going to do our (coughs) Grace Connection class here. Uh, By the way, (coughs) if you're planning to be a member or if you just want to know more about Grace, we'd love to have you on that uh, September weekend where we talk about the church But at South Wake Bible Institute, you have opportunity to go much deeper into the book of Genesis or to learn better ways to evangelize during these times or to understand who we are today by connecting with church history. When we think about the body of Christ, we tend to think about those in our particular church or we think about the believers all over the world. But actually, we're connected to all the people who have known and trusted Christ throughout the centuries. And we can't really fully understand who we are now unless we understand our history. So, um, we would invite you to look up at southwakebible.org or you can link there from our website. You were given these um, 12 points from 1 Peter. I'm going to take about 30 minutes on each point, so we'll be here a while today. Uh, Someone said they brought lunch. You should have brought a pillow. No, I'm just kidding. We won't be that long, but you'll use this later. Don't get distracted by it now. If you didn't get one on the way in, there'll be some on the way out. You can use it for a fan between now and then. We're nearing the end of a summer series titled Conformed to the Image of God's Son, Jesus. In short, God's design is for believers to look like Jesus, not physically, but we ought, people ought to look at us and say, that person's a great deal like Jesus, or I would imagine Jesus to be like this person. (laughs) You, You may have become aware that Jesus is not as popular in the United States as he was, say, 30 to 40 years ago. Now, look, the real Jesus was not that popular then, but he is really not popular today. So when you identify With Christ and the gospel, people are going to raise a suspicious eyebrow or two at you. That's okay, though, when you recognize that there is an unexpected joy and blessing in following Jesus as you carry your cross, especially as your brothers and sisters walk with you in suffering. This week's text is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. The sermon is entitled, Your Place in the Community. Those in the church are called out of the world into God's covenant 
community, just as Israel was called out of the world to be God's covenant community in the Old Testament. So there is a a thread that goes all the way through Scripture, God working with and through and in His covenant community. And as we actively engage in the life of the community, the first step being grace connection, uh, the first full step being grace connection, we're transformed into the image of Jesus. And by design, same as in the Old Testament, when we function as we should as the covenant people of God, we become a blessing to the world. I face it, there are a lot of communities that are seeking your participation in this day. But the community that matters most is the church. This is easy to forget when so many voices are urging you to join their communities. And sometimes it seems it is not so much that they're trying to get you to join as it is they're trying to intimidate you into joining and agreeing with them or else. And believe me, this pressure comes from every direction, not just from one direction. So what is the church's role in the world, and particularly in our current world? For years, believers in the West have sought a voice in the public square, which is an appropriate pursuit in a land where freedom of speech is allowed. We get to say what we want to. So let's get in the public square and have a voice, get to share the gospel in the, in the different ideas and philosophies that are being presented as to how we should live. But effective participation in the public realm is limited because of the nature of our calling. In our land, we live under the separation of church and state, and we enjoy freedom to express opinions that help to shape the form of our republic. My concern is, and I, I, I struggle with this myself, my concern is that freedom has confused the role and mission of the church in the world. And far too often we conflate religion and politics and think they're one and the same. In matters of social justice, we are told that believers must speak to the cultural moment. And indeed, without any question, we should always speak to injustice and inequities. How difficult life is for minorities in our land, particularly for blacks in our land, is a matter of perspective. It's kind of like major surgery and minor surgery, right? Minor surgery is what you have. Major surgery is what I have. And we cannot really understand one another's until we are able to put ourselves into their shoes. In Scripture, believers are called to embrace and eagerly participate in matters of justice. Social justice issues, though, are not always as clear-cut as we would like for them to be. Because of the urgency with which the culture speaks about social justice issues, many Christians want to look at the problem. Look at the problem up here. Just look at this problem. And then let's sort of work our way back to the Scripture. 
But we cannot function in that way. We have to understand Scripture and then move toward the problem. And the problem with that is that it takes time. There is no time to spare in our 24-7, 365 news cycle. I, I, I check the news uh, uh, sites every Sunday morning because sure as the world, I'll, I'll get here and something big has happened and everybody knows about it and I don't know about it. Not too much going on, maybe something big tonight. Who knows? Something big every 10 minutes in this world that we live in. And when you've got that and and and... and we're limited to 140 to 280 characters to disseminate right and wrong, good and evil. We're living in a tough time. So if, if you've been here, you've heard me say this over and over, but we have people coming all the time. So it's important for me to say it occasionally. If you come on one Sunday morning and you say, I didn't like what was said there. I don't really understand that. I don't agree with that. If you will stay for a year, you may not agree with it, but at least you'll understand it in the context. You can't say everything that needs to be said in one 30-minute session or, in the case of today, two hours and 15 minutes. You can't say it all. So it takes time to formulate a response, but there is no middle ground in society and almost everybody wants to know what you think right now and your place in society depends on it. What we find at this moment in our nation, in our nation is believers being invited into the arena. But think about this. We're being invited, to, invited into the metaphorical arena, arena at which time uh, the lions are released. It's like, church, get in here and address these issues. You start to address them, and you're the problem anyway. So the lions are let loose. Soon enough, we may be dragged into the arena, but either way, we are in the arena. And if that's where we find ourselves, it's okay. God is sovereign. And God is good and he will prepare us for whatever times lie ahead. He is neither stressed nor distraught, nor does he want his children to be. He has a plan for getting his message to the world. And it is rarely through a direct message on social media. Although I am not saying that social media does not have its place and Christians shouldn't be on. Absolutely we should. But be careful how and what you say or what and how you say it. It is often the calm, steady, holy lives of his children who were called to demonstrate his love and purposes even in the face of persecution that moves the world toward the gospel. That's the message of our text, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, which is addressed to the church. If you're able, if you're not too comfortable, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race. He's talking to Christians, Gentiles, Jews. You are a chosen race. Race. Okay, so we're going to hibachi after church. No, I'm just kidding. 
Sorry about that. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The day of visitation, by the way, probably being the day of salvation, could be the day when Jesus returns in judgment comes as well as ultimate salvation, but likely the day of salvation. The word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> so I'm going to make a few comments on our text, after which I'm going to propose a course of action uh, over this next week for you. It's a challenge that hopefully will help you allow Scripture to inform your decisions about how believers should live in this present age. You know, <clears throat> I've been thinking just about the times over the last several years, I've concluded that the New Testament books of Philippians and 1 Peter are excellent places to find instructions on how to live in a culture that is hostile to those who proclaim the gospel. Both books, Philippians and 1 Peter, like all New Testament books, are filled with direct and indirect Old Testament references. Why? Because God is telling one story that has two parts. His ways are consistent all through the ages. And he always tells his story. Think about this. He always tells his story through his people. Even though Peter was writing to the Gentiles, he expected them, Gentiles who would have not been aware of the Old Testament that was available in the Greek language in the Septuagint. He expected them to know the Old Testament. If you've been saved for a while, Peter is essentially saying, you should know all of these references that I'm making back to the way God works with man in the world. When Peter identified believers as a chosen race, again, Jews and Gentiles. God relates to the church in the same way he identified Israel as his chosen people. I think by, the, by now you've gotten that point. A chosen race. We are a royal priesthood worshiping God and mediating the message of his love for sinners to the world. See, one of our jobs as priests is that we tell others about God's goodness and his love. That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We are a holy nation or a nation that is set apart so that the differences between us and the world 
place us in a position to declare the truth about God. It's a darkness and light thing. And the light that is within us comes from above. It does not come from within. It may come from within shining through, but it's, it originates, it initiates uh, with God from above. As we worship God together, our position in Christ becomes more real and our purpose in the world becomes clearer. Verse 10 reminds us that it is not our righteousness that secures our spot in the family. It is out of God's mercy that he saved us. Important message to understand. It is not our righteousness, our good works that saves us. It is God's mercy and Jesus' righteousness that saves us. Verses 11 to 12 continue to define our relationship with the unbelieving world. Interestingly, Peter reminds us that it is not so much what we say, but how we live as elect exiles that attracts the attention of the world. Thomas Schreiner helps us understand our responsibility in this way. Quote, Peter did not summon believers to a verbal campaign of self-defense or the writing of tracts or we would say tweets or your social media outlet of choice in which they defend their morality. He enjoined believers to pursue virtue and goodness so that their goodness would be apparent to all in society. The evident transformation of their behavior will contradict false allegations circulating in society about them is what he means. Close quote. Now that sounds a lot like John Calvin, who said, he whose life differs not from that of unbelievers has learned nothing from Christ. For the knowledge of Christ cannot be separated from the mortification of the flesh. So you may be thinking at this point, well, that's all well and good, but how are we to respond individually or corporately as a church to the call to embrace Black Lives Matter and other social justice matters? For starters, shame on us if we're not people of justice. Shame on us if we don't care about the inequities in society. We work, though, from the Bible out, not from the social debates, back to the Word. We don't, we're not allowed to get back to, to the Word when we try to engage in that way. A verse here or there will not sufficiently inform our course of action, nor will it be an acceptable answer to those who want to know where we stand. We need a fuller and broader understanding from Scripture to get at some of the most important matters of life. And the best place to show the world what true justice is like is in the gospel community and how we can deal with our own problems, how we deal with our own problems immediately within that structure that God has provided for us will speak volumes to the world, although they may not hear it initially. I cannot tell you how seriously I considered standing up this morning and reading all five chapters from 1 Peter and then sitting down. <clears throat> That's what I wanted to do. Um, there is far too much to say in one sermon. I'm, I'm saying far too much as I should outside probably. So my desire is for all of us to sit under the word 
And I want to challenge you to sit under the word this week like I've done this past week. I've re I read 1 Peter every day, all five chapters every day. It takes you about 15 to 25 minutes depending on what kind of a reader you are and how much you stop to say, hmm, oh, uh, hmm. Those kind of things, it might take you 25 rather than 15. But if you just read through, and I realize you're probably not going to be able to, to, to get through uh, five times or every day this week, but get through as many times as you can. Why? Because it's the best way to understand the believer's position in Jesus and the church's place and responsibility in the world. When I was approaching 30 years of age, Mike Calhoun challenged me as much through his life as by his words to read through the Bible every year. I've missed a few years along the way, but only a few. And, and I just need to say that reading through the Bible every year has been the most important spiritual discipline that I've practiced. But I also need to tell you it took me a long time to realize how valuable it was. Somewhere around 10 to 15 years in, I began to realize the value of consistent Bible reading as, as the big picture of Scripture began to take shape in ways that were far more instructive and beautiful than I could have imagined. For the last few years, a new thing that I'm trying to do is with the smaller books, especially in the New Testament, to read them in one sitting. Because you see so much then that you don't see if you're just hit here and miss there. Read through the entire book. For years, evangelicals have emphasized the importance of bite-sized bits of Scripture and theology through a practice called quiet time. Now, you've got to understand, quiet time has been a huge blessing to me to sit with the Word, maybe just sit with a chapter, maybe sit with a paragraph or one verse or even a portion of a verse. Sometimes I'll, I'll have quiet time on one verse for three or four days in a row. And blessing though this practice has been to many of us, there's the danger of a limited perspective on God's truth and God's ways if we absorb only bits and pieces of Scripture. We may well have a juicy piece of steak for quiet time. And while it is wonderful for God to speak to us through that one verse, isn't it far better to understand the setting in which this beautiful jewel is placed? That kind of understanding takes time. You're not in this for the short term. That's why when you come to Christ, you have to give Him your entire life. And as you give Him your life, he begins to mold and shape you. And you may think, I don't look very much like Jesus. Well, give it time. You may be 70 and say, I don't look very much. Give it time. You're, th th this story is never done. When we are with him in eternity, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. If, however... If we're just looking at one verse, if we do not know the context for the verse that we are employing to prove our point, we may be missing the point altogether and not even know it. So, please take the time to read 1 Peter this week as many times as you can. I want to give you a guide for reading it, and I'm not going to take too long on this. Believe me, it's, it's, we're two-thirds of the way through. Um, 
12 principles, truths, principles, and direction from 1 Peter as you read. So if you've got the card, this is a good time to quit fanning yourself and just feel the heat, right? Um, First, uh, look, by the way, there could have been uh, not only 12, but 112 of these that I could have listed. But these are going to do, beginning with... First, we can only know God when he reveals himself to us through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. A lot of people speak for God and don't even know him because we cannot know God unless he reveals himself to us through Jesus. Do you ever stop and think what a privilege it is to be in the family of God? Our place in the family ought to be our primary identity and our main source of joy. And speaking of joy, second, if there is no joy in our relationship with the Lord, even in the hard places, something is missing. If I ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have felt like you were either depressed or going into depression sometime in these last six months. Many of you would raise your hands. I understand. Probably not as bad off as I think we are, but it feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, This may be difficult to believe, but the first century was far more difficult for Christians in our day of COVID and social unrest. Peter knew that open and violent persecution of believers was not far away not too far in the in the future yet this letter is filled with joy as is second peter and in second peter he says the lord has revealed to me i'm almost done here but he's just full of joy delighting in the lord despite the circumstances should be our posture as well third this is important understand this god is holy and he has called us to be Holy. He is other than us, and we are called to be other than the world. When our primary focus, as it has been in the evangelical world for many years now, our primary focus on evangelism is getting the world to hear us by being as much like the world as we can, we lose our distinction. I know we don't want to be odd ducks all the time. Surely we want to have that voice in the public square. Paul did it in Acts 16 or 17 at at Mars Hill. But there were limits to what Paul was allowed to do. They heard him out and then they said, get out of town. We don't want to hear any more of this. And when all we do is be as much like the world as we can, we lose our distinction. Do you see the problem? God is other than us, and he has called us as the church, not in an arrogant way at all, but to do his work, he has called us to be other than the world. Accept, accept our place. We must accept our place in the world, which is a place that God has set us For his purposes. Fourth. Jesus' second coming is our best reason for living holy lives. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 9. The portion of which uh, Jeff read this morning. Tells us that when Jesus returns. We will obtain the outcome of our faith. The salvation of our souls. This is only part. The salvation that we know is only part of God's plan for us. And the best is yet to come. 
remembering that we are living as strangers and aliens in this land. By the way, when Peter says that about us, it is the exact same language that Abraham used when he said, I'm a stranger and an alien in the land. I can't even bury my wife, Sarah. I don't have any place to put her. That's who we are. I know we're settled in houses. We're, we're building careers. We're educating ourselves, uh, being educated to, to be able to settle as well as we can. But never forget, we are elect exiles. And we're looking for Jesus to return. And that knowledge should energize us to do good. <laughs> we are going to see Jesus. And it behooves us to be ready for his return by living holy lives. Fifth, believers find instruction in the wisdom, authority, and power of God's word. Who is telling you how to act and think these days? If you're not sure, perhaps this will help. Do you spend more time in the word and related activities or on social media and or watching the news? Not only does the word guide us with great wisdom, but there is power in the word because the Holy Spirit is the author of the word. Don't make the mistake of trying to separate the word and the Holy Spirit. They're almost inextricably linked in scripture. And there's power in the word. Sixth, submission and honor are required of believers at uncomfortable levels. But freedom is found in the service of the Lord. The New Testament is full of paradoxes. The one who saves his life will lose it, but the one who loses his life for Jesus' sake in the Gospels will save it. In 1 Peter, freedom is found in humble service. Think about it. We will only be truly free when we follow the truth and we assume the role of a servant. Seventh, we are perhaps most like Jesus when we suffer in silence and entrust our souls to the one who judges justly. When you read 1 Peter this week, slow down when you get near the end of chapter 2. Remember, the importance of a cross-centered life and know that Jesus is the perfect example for times such as these. Eighth, Jesus is both cornerstone and stumbling block. And not everybody is going to agree with you when you share the gospel. I remember when I first got saved, at 18 years of age, I just thought surely if anybody just, if people just understood the truth, they would get saved. Jesus is both cornerstone and stumbling block. Look, it is easy for me, it would be easy for me to idolize a good and easy life, right? Anybody with me on that? I, I, I do not want trouble and I don't want people to dislike me because of my relationship with Jesus. But that is how it's going to be until Jesus returns. When we prioritize the gospel, some think we are avoiding the issues that really matter. But our first message to the world 
is Jesus. Whether the world receives our message or not. Ninth, God has enemies. We don't like to think in those terms. We like to think that, you know, God is over here and all those who believe are really blessed. And you're just, you're missing out. God has enemies. But it is his children who are commanded to live in the fear of the Lord. If we properly fear God, we'll bow before Jesus. This is not to say that we are to consider those who do not believe in Jesus to be our enemies, even if they consider us to be their enemies. That's one of the problems with, with our culture, isn't it? In news, whatever you watch, it's us against them. The Christian life is supposed to be them against us, but we love you. And Jesus gave his life for you. And if necessary... I'll give my life for this truth. God is the ultimate judge. And he will do what is right in his time. And there will be a day when we say glory to God for his judgments are just. They're right. In this day we pray, oh God, please enable this person to see. Give them Jesus. We are to live in the fear of the Lord, not in fear of people. In other words, our respect for God and our fear of sinning against Him should outweigh our concerns, even for our own safety. Tenth, when opposition to the gospel is strong, as it is in our day, a response to others' curiosity about our hope in Christ might be our most effective witness. We all know the Great Commission. We all understand it's our job to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In, in our text, we are set apart to declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into light. But you would be surprised if you just read the whole New Testament. Read the New Testament in as short a time as you can and just look for this. When does God tell me to initiate? When does he tell me to respond? There's a whole lot in scripture that says, as we live as we should, as this covenant community of God, people are going to want to know, what is it that's different about you? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, and it's only in a context. I just don't have time to read the rest. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Your hearts, your collective heart as a church. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. There ought to be enough joy and holiness in our lives that others want to know what makes the difference. And we need to be ready at any moment to tell them who it is that makes the difference. And we must do so with gentleness and respect, not with anger or political overtones. Eleventh, to humble ourselves before the Lord is our job to exalt and justify us in the eyes of the world is his job. In, 20, in the 21st century, this qualifies as the now you've quit preaching and gone to meddling point. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart when you get to these verses and you'll come to them several times as you will for this last point, number 12. 
Suffering and glory go together. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord when you suffer. My goodness, how many times do we see this in 1 Peter? And really, all over the New Testament, multiple times in 1 Peter, all over, suffering and glory are paired together everywhere in the New Testament. They seem to be opposites. So why does God combine them? Why is almost always a good question. So think long on this one. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher found no joy in the limitations of human pursuits. And he found everything anybody could ever want in almost every area of life. He, he had it all, but he said, it's all vanity. And he came to realize that peace and satisfaction are found only in the Lord. Psalm 119.96 could be the conclusion to Ecclesiastes. And it's a good conclusion for us in this restless world that seeks utopia and only finds despair. Our hope is in the Lord. Psalm 119.96 I have seen a limit to all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. I have seen a limit to all perfection. But your commandment is exceedingly broad. Let's pray. Our Father, we may, in light of or in view of Psalm 119.96, if we have just read, must confess that while your commandment is exceedingly broad, we are prone to be exceedingly shallow because of the spirit of the age. Light a fire in our hearts that longs to know you through your word. May we be about discussing the intricacies of scripture, the, the nuances of scripture, the beauty of the one we find in scripture, Jesus. Father, power of the Holy Spirit and the plan of the Father. Oh, Lord, your ways are perfect. Your ways are good. Your ways are beautiful. May we seek you and then may we have much more to say in a world that's gone crazy and has been crazy ever since Adam and Eve fell. May we love one another deeply. May there never be a question about us loving justice and caring about inequities. May we of all people understand that's not right and speak up against it. But may we keep our heads about us as we do. May we understand our place in the covenant community of God. There will always be differences between us and the world. That doesn't bring us to a place of arrogance, but it brings us to a place of humility and gratitude 
and great joy. May we live as those who have been redeemed and called for a purpose and look for the return of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.